He is an awesome God. The context of this next message found in the first 22 verses of Exodus 15 is that the children of God had gone and been freed and had found themselves by God's leading contiguous to the Red Sea and a mountain. And the Egyptian army was fast approaching them and they were convinced that they were going to die. But God said that he was going to be honored by the Egyptian army and Pharaoh. And he told Moses that as God would be the the, the rear guard and shield for Israel, that Moses was to spread wide his hands and that the Red Sea would part and that his people would walk across the Red Sea, not in mud, not in gunk, but on dry land. And as they passed through all of them, all of the men, all of the women, all of their children, all of their flocks, all of their herds, all of their possessions, as they walked through the Red Sea and all of them got to the other side, God did not lose one. And that God fought the Egyptian army. He confused them. And they, the Egyptian army, acknowledged that it was God who was fighting for Israel and became afraid. And then God simply covered the Egyptian army with the Red Sea and they were drowned. And so now the people of God are on the other side of the Red Sea, and this is their response. But I want to talk a little bit about our human condition first, so you might think that I've lost my place. This is actually part of the message. We are a people who tend to be emotional. We will get angry, we will get happy, we will uh, cry, we will laugh. We will do all those things, and we will usually exercise most of our emotions everywhere but in church. So I'm going to take an occasion um, that many of you uh, enjoy. uh, Most of us enjoy some type of sport. Uh, Some enjoy other sports or all of them. Some of you I understand to a lesser degree. But if you've ever watched, and I'm going to use football because it's football season and I happen to like the game. And so what happens is this. The players who will play will respond when something good happens with usually a physical response to an emotional thing. So if you've watched, there are certain quarterbacks, once that they have thrown a touchdown, will go like this. Or others will pretend to be Superman and will go like this. Others will shake their fists. And that's just for a touchdown. The, the receiver or the running back who scores oftentimes will do a little dance. Now I'll spare you because I've been a Baptist too long. So you'll just have the image of, of, of a person dancing in the end zone. Now, me, I have a dichotomy of thinking on that because I, I understand that, for instance, football is an emotional sport and that there ought to be an emotion because this is what it is. At the same token, I also have this thought pattern that says, When you score a touchdown, it ought to be like you've done it before. It's no big deal. It's kind of almost like the assassin's approach. I did my job. 
I took them out. Next. In the stadium, especially when your team scores a touch, especially if it scores at the end of the game, the winning score, what happens? Now, this is not what happened. Maybe two people in the same will go, you know, that was an awesome play. The quarterback dropped back five steps like he's supposed to. He, he placed the ball above his ear like he's supposed to. He had vision of the entire field. He understand where the double coverage was and where the single coverage was. And then he took and he threw the ball with a correct spiral and arc, with the correct distance and power that the receiver might easily catch the ball and score the touchdown. Wasn't that wonderful? There might have been two people in a 90,000 stadium that did that. Everybody else, if you're on the losing team, you go, and you're depressed. My team lost. If you're on the winning team, what happens? Everybody starts yelling and screaming and raising their hands and, and high-fiving. And even the coaches, you know, they, they score a touchdown and they jump and, and whatever. Everybody's excited. But guess what? It was a game. If you were in debt, you're still in debt. Well, I guess unless you bet heavily on the game, and then that's probably why you're in debt. If you're sick, you're still sick. If you're in the hospital, you're still... The, the great thing about sports is you can place all this emotion into it, but it has no real consequence. And the funny thing is about sports is that when your team wins at the end, you're jumping up and down and you're screaming. A lot of the fans will rush out on the field and, but guess what? They had absolutely nothing to do with the, the outcome. Oh yeah, they might have made some noise and made it a little more difficult, but I didn't throw the ball. I didn't catch the ball. But we want to identify with that team and their success. Now, why do I say that? If we can get that emotionally invested up or down about a game that you probably don't know who won or lost the fourth Super Bowl, why is it that you're, when you invest that much emotion, that you don't do the same in your praises to God? I joke and say, if you're the type of person, as I first described, that you so analyze things that there are no emotion, then I get it. You can sit in the pew and go, God is an awesome God. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's all-loving. He has loved me. That's kind of incredible. It's an amazing thing. Amen. Okay, if that's you, cool. But I've seen a lot of you who are very quiet in church, and I've seen you at watching hockey games, and I've seen you watching baseball games, and I've seen you watching football games, and you yell, and you scream, and you do all kinds of things. But in church, it's the hands in the pocket. Especially we, we Baptists. Why? Because there's certain denominations who, do, who have certain theologies that we don't have. And so they will tend to raise their hands, kind of like you do in a football game, score. But we don't want to be 
associated with them, so we put our hands in our pockets. We're so afraid about what other people think that we don't praise God for who he is and what he's done. So the context of, of Exodus 15 is that the people of God have just witnessed an incredible event that they have been saved, that they have been delivered, not only out of the bondage of sin, but they have been delivered from what they thought was certain death, not by just any old means, but by the parting of the Red Sea. So what's their response? Verse 1. Then Moses, he's the leader. Then Moses and the sons of Israel. That means everybody else. It was a united situation. So then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said. Notice who they're singing to. They're not saying, okay, we got a bunch of choir members up there. They got really good song. We got some whatever. And we're going to sing, and you're going to watch us, and isn't it going to be great? No. They're singing to the Lord. Which part of worship is not that we sing to each other or we pick songs that we like, but we sing to God. The audience in our worship is not the people sitting or standing in the pews, it's Him. So they sang this song to the Lord and said, now, this particular song that they're going to sing is used as a foundation for a lot of other psalms that was written by David and others. This is kind of like one of those songs that people go, I like that song. I'm going to copy it. And fortunately, back in this day, we didn't have to worry about copyright laws. There are songs we can't do here because we're, we're videoing and we're, trans, we're sending it out and we have to make sure that we have the particular license and if the pattern is a certain pattern, then they block us. They didn't have to worry about that. David goes, you know, I like that part. I'm going to, because it applies to me, I'm going to write it down. So this is the song that they sang. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. They're singing again. The part of the song is reminding them who they're singing to. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. He's not a little exalted. He's not partially exalted. He is highly exalted. The horse and its riders has been hurled into the sea. This is one of the things that God has done. He has just delivered us from this army. He fought for us. We didn't fight and win. He fought. He won. Every one of us was preserved. We thought we were going to die. Not one of us was even injured. The Lord is my strength and song. Notice it didn't say that Lord makes up my strength or that with the Lord's help, I am strong. It is God who is my strength. All too often, we Christians are so proud. It's like, well, God, I can go this far and God help me go the rest of the way. 
they acknowledged they didn't go anywhere at all. It was God who took them through. So get over yourself. It's not your strength. It's his strength. And song. God is my song. He's just not what I'm singing about. He's not what I'm just doing. He is it. Now, there are a number of modern-day songwriters. The particular one that I'm, you'll know who I'm talking about, but I won't say. And I don't know half of her songs, so I don't listen to them. But apparently she, apparently she likes to write about songs about former boyfriends. And apparently the former boyfriends know that she's writing about them because in the song, they kind of get the clue that they're writing about them. And a lot of us will sing, will write long songs because, oh, I'm so much in love with this person or that person for the next 15 minutes, and I'll find somebody else that I'll fall in love with. And, then we, and, we, and we love to be in love. So we write love songs. What they're saying is, God is the theme of all my songs. I just don't write about him. He is it. So he is my strength. He is my song. And he has become my salvation. Isn't it interesting? They've learned something. That God became. Although quite frankly, God has always been their salvation. Just sometimes we learn about it a little late. This is my God. Notice now, no longer is it just he's God. Or I acknowledge that God is God. It's he's my God. He's the one that I worship. He's the one that I pay attention. He's the one that I will praise. He is my God. And I will praise him. Before they called out to the Lord, complained to Moses. Now they're saying, we're going to praise my God. My father's God, and I will extol him. This relationship between the people of God has not just showed up today. It has been there for generations. Just sometimes we lose our way. But notice it says, and I will extol him. We don't use that word a lot. Basically, it means that I will enthusiastically praise God. Now, I've shared with you uh, several times. I went many years ago and visited. I, I had uh, for, um, for business purposes, for uh, church-related, I uh, was in a different city and was there. So we went to a, a really large church, and uh, the... The deacon's turn was to read the scriptures before the service started, and I am not going to underestimate how he did it. It was this way. Bless the Lord. All that was in within me, bless the Lord. Well, that was really enthusiastic. I'm really pumped now. I can praise God. There was absolutely no enthusiasm in his voice or his attitude. We ought to have enthusiasm. Just as if, if we're yelling and screaming at a football game, God's at least worth that. So I will extol him. 
The Lord is a warrior. Now he starts, they start singing some of the things that God is. They acknowledge what God has done, who he is, that he ought to be praised, and now they're going to give some examples that he's a warrior. The Lord is his name. I am is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea, and the choices of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like the stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. God is so powerful, just his right hand conquers a nation. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them as chaff. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters are piled up. The flowing water stood up like a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. See, just God is so powerful. All he's got to do is blow out of his nostrils now. God doesn't have nostrils and God doesn't have hands. This is for us to understand these things, that how awesome God is, that just as you might sneeze, God can cause waters to separate. It usually doesn't take a lot of effort on your part to blow out your nose unless it's congested. Then you do whatever you do. But that's how powerful God is and they're acknowledging it. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw out my sword. My hand will destroy them. You blew your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praise, working wonders? So they go back and forth. They go from praising him and saying why they're praising him, praising him and saying why they're praising him. You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. The peoples have heard, they have trembled. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Now this is, this is great. I'm going to go on, but I'm going to go back. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed, and the leaders of Moab trembled, gripped them. And all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them by the greatness of your arm. They are emotionless as stones. Until your people pass over, O Lord, until the people pass over whom you have purchased. Now, there's all kinds of discussion about whether this song was written later or written now and, and this and that, because they're talking about the impact of other nations. A God who redeems his people, a God who can part the Red Sea, can certainly allow his people to see the future. And if God parted the Red Sea, then he will certainly comply with his promise of the promised land. Now, I want you to know how widespread this event took, happened. As you may or may not know, 
From this point on, they don't wind up in the promised land within the next few days. Actually, it takes them about 40 years. This event was so amazing that there was a woman who was a harlot who lived in Jericho who when she saw some spies from Israel helped them out allowed them to escape and one of the reasons she said for doing that is she goes because your God parted the Red Sea she probably wasn't even alive when it happened but that's how much the, the fame of God went out through the world. No wonder he was honored among the people. We wonder, well, why God does things that he does? And sometimes it may take 40 years to figure it out. But God is honored, just as he said, among not only the Egyptians, but everybody around. You pass over your... Over, O Lord, until the people pass over whom you have purchased, you will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord shall reign until next Tuesday. That's how we act. Everything's fine today, but the Lord will reign forever. And now we have, if you will, if that's the first few verses, now we have some other verses. The Lord, the, the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. Again, praising God, saying what he did. Praising God, saying what he did. But this next verse tells, them, tells us they probably weren't Baptists. Miriam, that's Moses' sister, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. Yeah, we have guys dancing in the end zone. We have the women of God's people dancing in praise of God. So despite the phrase that said, uh, God doesn't put a dancing foot on a praying knee, but he did with these people. Because they weren't dancing just to be dancing. They were dancing in praise of God. Just as when we're excited, we raise our hands or we dance or we do whatever, these people acknowledge just how awesome God was and how he saved them. And they were going to demonstrate that praise in every way that we usually do. We do with our voice. We do with our body. They danced. Our God's an awesome God. Not only did they dance, they joined in. Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horses and his riders he has hurled into the sea. So they're going to sing a reprise to what the men just sang. 
worship broke out because God delivered. I'm going to give you a homework assignment. And I know one of you might do it. Because your first reaction is going to be, well, I'm not a songwriter. I'm not asking you to put it to music. I just want you to write the lyrics. And these are the lyrics that I want you to use as an outline. I will praise God because... And you fill in the blank. What has God done in your life to give him praise? Now, unfortunately, this is what happens in our lives. Why do I know? Because I'm guilty of it too. We will worry about something. We will get anxious about something. We will lose sleep over something. Maybe a loved one or ourselves are sick, maybe even dying, or maybe there's a financial situation, or all, whatever may be pressing in upon us. And we pray, and we ask God to deliver us, and God delivers us. We may say, well, maybe I wasn't sick after all. It was a misdiagnosis. Well, the thing that I was afraid of happening didn't happen, and so everything's cool. We dismiss it. Or if we're actually thankful, we go, thank you, God. And that's it. Thank you, God. Well, the Bible says in everything, give thanks. Yeah. Didn't say do it on one occasion. Thank you, God. So what has God done in your life? It's one of the things that I'm, I'm glad that, that the band sang uh, for offertory, a song that Al wrote. He wrote a song about what God has done in, in his relationship with God. We may not all be good songwriters, but we still have the same God who is our song. So I'll tell you, I won't sing it, but I'll tell you the types of things that I would write as a, as a song. God loves me so much. That his grace is so amazing that it wasn't that when he saved me I was a wretch, but that I continue to be a wretch and not nearly like Jesus as I ought to be, but he loves me anyway. His grace is still upon me. His favor is still upon me. That my unfaithfulness has never affected his faithfulness. And I will sing of the Lord, his loving kindness and his mercy I will sing that God saved me. I will sing that I have not gone through things that I thought I might go through because of his grace and his mercy and his power. That I have not gone through things that I even know I didn't go through because he prevented them from happening. His glory and honor should be praised. 
and I will extol, I will enthusiastically praise him, even for the things that I'm not aware of that he has done for me. And I would not end my song without this, and I'm going to cheat because just as many of the psalmists use this as an outline for their psalms, I'm going to actually have the band come up and get ready. But we're going to sing a song that is entitled, I Could Sing of His Love Forever. And as a part of my song, I could sing of His love forever. But this is how I will change that song. I will sing of His love forever. Because he has promised me eternal life. He has promised me that I will dwell in his house forever. And that I will be in his presence. And I, along with the other saints and the angels, will sing how awesome and great the Lamb of God is. So it's not just a statement that I could do it. The statement of faith is that I will do it, that I will sing of his love forever, and I won't do it out of rote, and I won't do it out of obligation, and I won't do it in a sense of, oh, I'm in the band or in the choir, but because it is true that I could and I will sing of his love forever because his love on me is forever. So I would encourage you, to maybe jot down a few lines of your song. And as God leads you, you add another verse. And as God saves you from whatever you're concerned about, that you write another verse. And then as God does that thing that you think is impossible, that you write another verse. And then when you're breathing your last, that you might sing that last I will praise you. And even when my body will not say another word, my soul will bless you. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Because when I breathe my last, I will see him and will sing of his love forever. All God's people said,